Welcome to the Kingdom Culture Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this spirit-filled message that it blesses your week and brings you joy and perspective. To connect with us, hop on social media and for more information, head to kingdomculturechurch.com.au. Good morning. Good to be in church on a Sunday morning. We're going to have to do better than that or the kids will um, make more noise. So let's hear a hallelujah from over here. Pathetic. One more time. One, two, three. Pretend you're shouting at your kids. Okay. One, two, three. Better. Praise the Lord. Pretend you're shouting at your parents. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Sweet Jesus. Sweet Jesus. They won. We have a lot to be thankful for this morning. We really do. And this whole... James series has got me excited and it's, uh, it's like been a mixture of emotions, of excitement and of conviction and of, of God opening up the word and, and, and causing peace and, and challenging and so on. And that is what the word should do for us. It really is so important that we understand that the word isn't, the word when we read it should cause us to make a decision. It should, in a sense, challenge us to go, you know what, I'm going to live that today. You know what, that's lacking in my life. And what did James, what did we read in James 1? He said, if any man lacks wisdom, if he doesn't have any understanding, if he doesn't know what he's doing, anybody here like that? Yep, sometimes we don't know what we're doing. If we're honest, we're in church, so we're supposed to be honest. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing. Ask God. And it says he gives us liberally. That means without boundaries, freely, like a river. So, James, we're going to, last week we were looking at um, James 1, obviously. Now, what he's saying in James 2, I'll just give us that little back, backdrop. I want to reference this each week because we need to remember that James was in, James needs to be interpreted through the way that James was writing to the church. The church was scattered uh, through different nations because of persecution. So this is 16 years after Jesus died and rose again. And then you've got a church that is scattered. And James is saying, I'm writing to you as somebody who is a slave, a servant of God. I am sold out for God. And what he was saying was, hey, we're not going to get the job done. The Holy Spirit is not going to get the job done in this world if we are not sold out for him. We can't be half in, half out. We have to be all in or all out. Because if you're all in, you won't be frustrated. If you're all out, you won't be frustrated. But if you're all in, if you're half in and half out, you will be frustrated. You know, we've got too many believers doing the hokey-cokey. I put my left foot in and my left foot out, in, out. Oh, that's the right foot. In, out, in, out. <laughs> Shake it all about. Do the cookie. Turn around. That's what it's all about. Ali, ali, ali. Oh. No more Christian. 
UK, they say hokey cokey. I think you say hokey pokey. Either way, get the message. He was addressing a drifting culture. He was part of an apostolic leadership that was after, again, about 16 years afterwards, after Jesus had died. And he was watching believers interpret and reinterpret Jesus' teachings and seeing them move in some behaviours that were taking them back into cold, dead religion. They had the form of Christianity, the form of Christ without the fire and without the breath of life. I want to tell you we're coming into a season. It's no... It's no um, I just want to honour Heather, um, Pastor Heather, for, for um, you know, she got that whole theme of the breath the breath of God, long before a lot of people, bigger conferences, advertised it. And the reason I'm saying that is that there's something we're tapping into that is bigger than KCC, bigger than the, it's, it's as big as the worldwide church. The breath of God, we need the breath of God in all that we do. We need the fire of God in all that we do. We need you, Holy Spirit. We are dependent upon you. Come and move in. And James was addressing a church that was moving away from raw reality, from passion, he was saying, you ran well, like Paul did as well. You ran well. Now, in order to finish well, you've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to value the fruit of the Spirit. I believe God is bringing us in through James, excuse me, to value the fruit of the Spirit. By their fruit, you will know them, not their gifts. And I would love it to be about gifting. And so would you. But it's not about gifting, it's about fruit about fruit, about fruit. It's not about by their incredible personalities you will know them. It's not even because they speak in tongues you will know them, but by their fruit you will know them. James' main focus can be summed up in the following statement, which we, I want us to put up again because it's a powerful one. A faith that does not produce Real life change is a faith that is worthless. He was saying, don't tell me your gospel, live me your gospel. So we're going to read James 2, verse 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in, a filthy, in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, hey, you stand over there, sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him but you have dishonored the poor. It is not the rich, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law Found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. 
For whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he said, you shall not commit adultery. He also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I'm glad, I'm glad it sort of went up at the end there. Because it was getting a bit heavy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We could camp around that a bit today and we will do. I want to do this chapter backwards. Um, so what I mean by that is I want to take the last verse, mercy triumphing over judgment. Why? Because in the first 11 verses, James spends his time talking about discrimination. Discrimination is a hot topic in the world today, isn't it? Yeah. That word, discrimination. You know, everyone, the minute you hear discrimination, everyone's like, eh. See, what he was saying was, you're treating people differently because they're poor or rich. That's discrimination, either way. Treating people differently because they dress in designer labels, sports labels, or Kmart own brand. Treating people differently because they can pull strings for you. That is discrimination. Treating people differently and inviting them into your world because they make you look good. Treating people differently because they are popular. Treating people differently because it's a basic human weakness to suck up to people who are where you would like to be. He doesn't pull any punches. He spends 11 verses building up to say, hey, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ was and is and always will be about mercy for all not mercy for some. Mercy for all and not mercy for some. Mercy for all, not mercy for some. And that is so important that the Holy Spirit wants to dwell on that this morning. And you know, then he's saying, and now just 16 years, 16 years after Jesus' death on the cross, that's within living memory, since Jesus spills his blood as a ransom for all. 16 short years after the greatest act of mercy in the history of the universe took place. Only 16 years after the Saviour pays off the debt of sin for everyone, for all time, you are in danger of making the gospel about the privileged, the influential, and the well-connected. What do you think you are doing? And then he goes back at the end. Mercy has triumphed over justice. See, Jesus meets a lot of people all of his ministry life who were concerned about knowing God by keeping the rules. Keeping the rules. If I can keep the rules, I can keep on the good side of God. And I think if you're honest, you will, you will realize that something we can slip into that quite easily. And it takes, a, 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 for me, it takes a daily adjustment that I'm not living by rules, I'm living by relationship. Living by rules. No, I want to live by relationship. Fulfill the, no, no, I want to live by relationship. I thank you for the relationship. I thank you for the relationship. Adjustment, adjustment, adjustment. The Holy Spirit is faithful to adjust us. Suddenly, though, 
mercy. You've got all these people going, what law? You know, what laws do I need to do? Suddenly mercy in the person of Jesus Christ bursts on the scene and he's breaking all the rules and he's confusing. I don't know what Enneagram type are you, Anna? One, yep, so the rule person. Confusing all the Enneagram type ones. They're like, I had this all sorted. Now my life is upside down. Jesus, stop it. He, he met these people who wanted to know, what else can I do to have life? He met them in groups. He met them in synagogues. He met them in his team of disciples. He met them in earnest young men. Often earnest, rich young men. You know, we had an amazing Saturday yesterday when all the men from King and Culture Church got together. <coughs> 45 men worshipping God on a freezing cold morning and lifting their voices, encouraging each other, eating breakfast and doing beans together. And there is something about a man's heart, and you know women, we're not excluding you, exclude. there is something about when men's hearts are turned toward God that a shift in culture happens. I was sharing with the guys yesterday, there's a statistic, and it's a true one. 90% 90 of men in America believe that there is a God. 35% are regularly in church. That means that on any given Sunday, there are five women in church to one man. And I would say it's worse in Australia, honestly. We have got to decide as men in our hearts, and I believe we actually made a decision yesterday, but it's an ongoing decision that we are not only just going to talk about serving a God, not only going to talk about having healthy marriages, not only talking about raising godly kids, actually be in the centre of it. Actually be what we're speaking in the centre of our families. <coughs> Actually be what we're speaking about in the center of our church. Because we have a youth, you know, we, 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 we get excited about, there's 27 kids in there. That's amazing. Do you know what they're looking for? Men to follow. Men and women to follow. So I'll bring it back. Men and women, that's the truth. But, you know, we cannot talk about it. We have to be it. You know, we cannot have a situation where we have... 60 people on a Sunday morning and 120 at night. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not a numbers person. People who know me will vouch for that. What I'm saying is we need to change our culture from, oh, every third week in church is good enough. Do you know what? We need to see a generation, one for Christ. And the way they will be one for Christ... It's not just sitting in our buildings, but it is actually fellowshipping with those that spur us on to goodness, spur us on to greatness, spur us on to be the men and women of God that we are supposed to be. And if we get that right, we will go out and we will touch lives because mercy overcomes justice. James was saying, if you live by the law, you become convicted by the law, every single time you break it. I don't know about you, I've noticed something, that the law is insatiable. When I start living, like nothing I do is good enough or can be enough, 
It's not long before I find myself looking over the garden fence and checking whether the neighbours are keeping the law too. When I start to live like, I hope I'm getting this right, oh God, I hope I start going inward, that's when I start to judge other people. They're not doing that. See, it's all bunkum. See, people don't live up to what they say they're going to do. You see, when mercy for myself goes out the window, mercy for others isn't following far behind. When I forget that the mercy of God endures forever for me, I start to forget that the mercy of God endures forever for you. You started in freedom, and you want to finish in the law. This is what James is saying. You started in freedom, and you really want to finish in the law. It's going to be tears before bedtime. It ain't going to go good. Going hard after the law once you've started in the spirit. Anyway, so back to Jesus. He keeps meeting all these different people, earnest young men who want to give them one more magical law to keep them in order, to keep them safe and free from the burden of sin. But you know, what they were really saying is is one of two things here. One, I'm doing everything I know to do to be in relationship with God, but still I feel this emptiness, this lack in my heart. In fact, one man said, "What, what else do I lack? What else do I have to do? Or they're saying, I've given up trying to address the pain in my heart. It's easier to live with, with the seeming comfort of sin than it is to try and live well and fail. In all these interactions with these men or people with a sin problem, Jesus talks about what James underlines here, what he calls the royal law. And the royal law is just love people. Just love others in the same way that you want to be loved. It's that simple. That's the take-home from this morning. Love people the same way that you want to be loved. Show mercy to people in your arguments, in your bickering, in your amazing opinions of life, in your doctrine, in your worship choice, in your clothing choice, in your friend choice. Show the mercy of God that you expect to be shown and you will receive mercy. I had to keep reading this over and over again because it was really refreshing my soul because the royal law... See, it's, and I love that. He's calling it a royal law. And what he's really saying is, it's like living nobly. Living nobly. It's living with a bit of class. Who wants to live with a bit of class? I do. It's not fun picking at people's faults. It's hard work. Stop making it hard for me. Let's live with a bit of class, the royal law. The royal law is classy. Hey, you want to be loved? Love. You want mercy? Show mercy. You want to live in peace? Stop arguing. You want to be heard? Stop shouting people down. The royal law diffuses anger. It melts unforgiveness from your life. It heals hurts, it breaks down pride, and it lays a foundation for the building of humility, love, and kindness to take place in our lives. That's the royal law. It sets us up for a win. 
Or to put it another way, when we realize, when we really, really, really realize that we deserve death, but we received life, mercy will become second nature to us. I'm going to say that again because this section over here needs to say hallelujah. (laughs) You were worthy of death. You received life. I'm not on a high wage to do this, you know. <laughs> you, were, you were worthy of death, but you got mercy. That's how it's done. You were worthy of death, but you received mercy. Matthew 5. <coughs> Matthew 5, there's the Beatitudes. There were, there, were, um, there were nine. There are nine Beatitudes. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Then underneath the middle one, there's the. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Right in the middle of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful. For they will obtain mercy. That is shouting ground. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, we will receive mercy. It was slap in the middle because right in the middle of everything that we do, every prayer we pray, every preach we preach, every song we sing, every relationship we have, every every relationship that we are to people, it needs to have mercy in the centre, right in the centre. Mercy overcomes judgment. You know, there was a day this week where I felt surrounded by incompetence. Now, just when you make a statement like that, you can just feel the bristle of pride, can't you? It's like, I'm surrounded by incompetence. But I was challenged from James last week about how to live my life. Seriously. Because I thought I could just be, you know, I've just got to be nice. I'll, get, I'll be nice to you, you incompetent. <laughs> but that isn't what he's saying. He's saying, show the fruit of the Spirit. Don't just put on a face. Actually humble yourself and be it. It's not about being nice to people. It's actually about understanding. When you understand what you're forgiven, it makes it so much easier. So much easier. Blessed are the merciful. When mercy is taken out of the gospel, we are left with a dry husk of religion. It doesn't matter, and we need to understand, it doesn't matter how often or how diligently we water that dry husk. It's never going to live. It's never going to shoot out a green shoot. It's never going to flourish. It's always going to be a dry old husk that looks like a seed but actually has no life in it. 
we have to decide we're only going to water the good things in our life, things like mercy. That's what I'm going to water. I've got opinions about every single one of you on the front row. (laughs) Even Billy. And I tell you what, I can water that and get all holier than thou and my ways are amazing and if only you little people would understand. (laughs) Or I can water mercy and reap a crop of mercy. Because we're not just talking about mercy in heaven, we're talking about mercy on earth. And when there's a tidal wave of mercy, I tell you what, the Morton Bay region will be affected for Jesus Christ. James was saying, get mercy back in the centre of it, lads. And once you do, you've got something to party about. When mercy gets back, you won't have to say to people, oh, come up at the front and dance. Won't have to say, hey, we, now we're going to sing a fast song, so hey, let's put our on. There'll be something in us that says, I'm just so thankful, God, because of what you've done in my life. I can't not sing. I can't not dance. I can't not worship. There's something constant and true in the middle of life's difficulties, and that's the mercies of God. In 1 Chronicles 28, David gives his son Solomon the plans for the temple of God that he wanted him to build. And you know what was right smack bang in the middle of that temple? The mercy seat. The mercy seat. He said, make sure, right at the center of all the activity, all the building... I want to tell you, God is destined for Casey's here to flourish, to grow. It's no, we've been believing for a, a huge kids' ministry. We've been believing for the Sunday morning service to grow. We've, I'm believing for a third service. I'm believing because it, it's not a numbers thing. It's about seeing the flourish of God, the call of God that's on a house. It is wrong for us to deny that there is a call of God on this house for it to grow and for people to be touched. But in all the activity, in all the goings on of the priests killing beasts and all this incense going up, he said, you better make sure that the mercy seat is slap bang in the middle of it all. Because if you don't, it's going to go crazy. And everything's going to go skew if. Mercy, 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 mercy. It's fascinating that David, as he went through life experiencing the love and mercy of God, after committing adultery, after murdering an innocent man, he changes the name of the furniture piece from the Ark of the Covenant to the mercy seat. Why? Because he experienced mercy all of his life. He experienced the God of the second chance. You all look very holy, and that's wonderful. We have all experienced a second chance. In fact, most of us have experienced the hundredth chance because the mercy of God endures forever. David experienced the mercy of God. He no longer talks about covenant and contract, like the the Ark of the Covenant. He talks about 
the relationship, the mercy seat of God. What will win this world are not people who live under contract, but under grace and mercy. When we experience mercy in our lives, everything changes. Everything changes. It will affect everything you say and everything you do and everything you touch. The mercy of God changes people. You know, I can do Sunday without mercy. I could just see pastoring as a job, like a plumber. You know, just do my job and get out of here. Greet a few people, preach a bit, pray, get out. But when you, don't, when you operate like that and there's no mercy, it's really hard work. What about you? You know, we do meet people like this on occasion. Well, bless God, get out of my way. I'm here to worship God. I'm getting me some word. I'm getting me some prayer. I'm getting me a prophetic word. And if I can get in and out in 90 minutes without having to interact with anybody, so much the better. I've got me a good Sunday. But you don't need mercy for yourself. You've got mercy. You need mercy for the family of God. The people that he's put in the seat right next to you this morning. Are you in a rush this morning? Are you in a rush to get in, get out? Dip your, dip your foot in the water. That done me, I've done my bit. Back, you know, back home. Jesus talks about the royal law to one young man, and then he talks about the Good Samaritan. He tacks it on. He says, I tell you what mercy is like, and what distinguished the Good Samaritan from the priest and the Levite was compassion and mercy. What will set us apart to people who have been kicked to death by life? Mercy. Why? Because mercy sees. The Levite and the Pharisee, they, uh, they didn't see. They didn't see the man at the side of the road. They were busy. They were going to church. Don't mess with me. I'm on worship leading this morning. Excuse me, I've got to preach. I don't have time for your problems. Mercy sees. Mercy sees potential. Mercy sees hope. Mercy sees redemption in a horror story. Mercy sees. So why is mercy central to the temple? Central to the gospel? Because he goes, surprise, you don't get me without the family of God that I'm the father over. And that's who we need mercy for. Sometimes he has to break it to us quite gently that... He's not just our father. That he's actually your father. (laughs) Like, I've got to share him. The New Testament states clearly that we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're to fill our lives with good things. Worship, prayer, fellowship, the word of God, witnessing, dedication and service. But put mercy right bang in the middle. 
where it belongs. Let's get the band up. That would be incredible. Thank you. In amongst all the activity, we have to have a place dedicated to mercy. In Psalm 136, 26 verses of Scripture, it says, um, give thanks to the Lord because what his mercy endures forever. And every single verse, it says his mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. If you look at what that word endure means, it long time past, long time future is the mercy of God. Long time past, long time future is the mercy of God. We need to let mercy soak us today. Sometimes I want to slow down the activity on a Sunday because we move on very quickly. But I'm learning to live in the Sunday and actually really enjoy it. I have never enjoyed church so much as I have in the last few years. And that's, and that's true. <laughs> <coughs> It was so true that they wrote us, he, he wrote a psalm about it. His mercy endures forever. He wrote a song about it. His mercy endures forever. This is why I've been encouraging our incredible worship team. And they are an incredible, dedicated bunch of young men and women who give up a lot of their day to, to create an atmosphere of worship where the mercy of God can come down and soak our souls. But this is why I've been encouraging them that we need a song that says, I have experienced the mercy of God when we start our service. Because what happens is we turn into a, you need to earn my worship. He doesn't need to earn your worship. He, he saved you from sin. What we forget is, if the mercy of God was lifted off our life, we would be dead. We would not exist. So that shouldn't make me go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Um, you make me come to the front then or make me dance in my seat or make me move or make me clap. It, the mercy of God should so inspire me that I can't stop because there are people out there who don't know what it is to know the mercy of God and we do. So it should move us to action. It should move us to faith. When mercy leaves the temple, we become harsh and sharp. We become negative, we become judgmental. We bristle when we're inconvenienced. Anyone bristle when they get inconvenienced? Alistair, I'm shocked. We, we, we're like porcupines with all our quills up. We've all bits of junk stuck all over them and just trash. You know what was in the mercy seat? The pot of manna. The pot of manna speaks of the provision of God. Normally it rotted. Normally it rotted. The Word of God without mercy will slice you to death. The Word of God with mercy will bring, will operate, dig deep and provide a healing in your life. You know, Without mercy, we're like that manna because it said it stunk. You know, sometimes we can feel like we're so right. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to show them what they're really like. And, you know, we think we're so right. And, you know, it's like we, we take the mercy off. And it's, it's, we, we don't smell good when we don't have mercy in our life. Aaron's rod was in the mercy seat. It was a dead old stick 
But when it was put in the mercy seat, it came to life. We see marriages come to life under the mercy of God. We see people who are unfixable, broken, their lives shredded, come back to life because of the mercy of God. So why... So his whole point of him saying, hey, don't show favoritism, don't dismiss people, don't, don't treat them badly. You know what he was saying is, we said it earlier on, you can't start in the spirit and end in the flesh. Let me ask you something in finishing. How do you evaluate people? What, how, what do you value? What value do you put on people? Sometimes it comes down to they are worth the effort, they are not worth the effort. Imagine if that was how God viewed us. Not worth the effort. You know, we can celebrate the celebrity of beauty and fame. You know, even though that person who is beautiful and fabulous has done nothing but eat food to look fabulous and gorgeous. They've just grown up with great genes. And yet, they can be worshipped. Paul with James is saying, if you continue to judge on the outward rather than the heart, your life will be poor because of it. You know, we esteem the influence of wealth and power over humility and generosity. We honour clothing brand selection and coffee shop choices. You might not think this is you. This is you. This is me. We do it all the time. We marginalise people on their movie preferences, on their worship song selection. Sometimes we inwardly sneer at people's choice of Bible translation. Oh, the passion. That's so lightweight. quibble over a point of doctrine and a mistranslation in a Bible forgetting to celebrate that that person's life has been turned upside down by the word of God and they're set back on track every time we box people in, categorise them, every time we marginalise them, every time we discriminate we help people stay behind masks and that's what James was saying don't look at the mask, look at the heart, don't look at the mask look at the heart there are people in here this morning and we all do it we put on a mask to go to church and God is saying look behind the mask to the heart and I'm so thankful that God did that for you and me amen let's stand together he took look beyond the mask and saw my heart mercy run down like a river in this place this morning Jesus said when he was pushing through the crowd the woman with the issue of blood of 12 years she touched the hem of his garment she went really low and she touched the hem of his garment he said virtue has gone out of me the power of God has gone out of me 
And it was the power of God that went out. But you know what released the power of God? It was mercy. It was mercy. Because mercy will always go to the lowest point and lift people up. It will go to the sick and it will heal the sick. And if we are not moved by mercy, the power of God is just a show and a gift. But when we are moved by the mercy of God, that dunamis, that power of God begins to operate in our life and people are touched and put back on track and back in relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's worship together as a team. Thank you. And we'd love to pray with you this morning. Sometimes we need to know that God's mercy is for me today. It's for me today. I need to leave behind the stuff. I need to leave behind the misconception. His mercies, what does he say? His mercies are new every morning, every day that we live. If you want to shake off some stuff, then you feel free to come up and get prayer because this is a place, this is the, this is the house of God where the mercy seat is going to be prevalent and in its rightful place. Above and beyond everything else, we're going to be a house that has the mercy of God right in the centre of it. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you.